Welcome to an audio stream from San Marino Community Church, featuring our own pastoral staff and various guest speakers. We're going to be looking at a passage of scripture. If you have a Bible with you, we're going to be looking at the book of Matthew. Uh, My name is Keenan Barber. I come from a land far away called Westlake Village, and I'm excited to be with you, but I really do want to just get right into the scripture. So we're going to be looking at uh, Matthew chapter 25. I'm going to be reading out of a translation called the NRSV. If you don't have that translation, just follow along. It's fun to actually see two different translations. It messes with your mind, Um, but it also is a good thing to kind of see how different translators do different things. But Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13, and it goes like this. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, all of them became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a shout, Look, here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those bridesmaids got up and trimmed their lamps. All right. The foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, No, there will, be not, there will not be enough for you and for us. You had better go to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they went to buy it, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Later, the other bridesmaids came also saying, Lord, Lord, open it to us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I do not know you. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. We pray. God, thank you for your word. It does not return void. I pray today, God, that you would take this word, you would transform it in such a way that we might hear it, it might change us, it might transform us by your spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, so much of what happens in a passage of scripture is about context. And so there are times when we can pluck a passage of Scripture out, even a verse of Scripture, and think we know exactly what this means. But I think it's important, especially within the context of Scripture, to look what is around this passage of Scripture. And we realize that sometimes that what happens in the chapter before actually connects directly with what's in the chapter afterwards, because we realize that the chapters, the numbers, and the verses were added later. Those weren't there in the original text, and so sometimes they make a division, and we make a division in our head, but we don't realize that the writer actually had an intention that the passage before and the passage after, whether they're in the same chapter or not, are actually in the same passage. And so even the the titles in front of each of these sections can help us find a passage of Scripture, but know that those titles, again, weren't in the original Scriptures. And so the reader, the original reader, would have read it straight through. And so in this particular case, you would have looked at the passage before this, and you would have read a passage about the faithful or the unfaithful slave, And then the passage that's after this is the parable of the talents. And we would take all of those and realize, okay, we're in chapter 25 of Matthew. We're getting towards the end of Matthew. This is the last bit of teaching that Jesus is going to do for his disciples. And we realize that what he's going to be talking about here, much of what he's talked about during all of the book of Matthew has been about teaching in the here and now. And now as his time is coming to an end, 
as it does in our lives, we want to pass along the most important things. We want to make sure that there's a sense of, okay, I'm not going to be here much longer, and so I need to give you a sense of what that out there is going to look like. And so these are about the judgment. Good morning. It's so much fun to come to church and talk about the judgment. (laughs) But it is interesting within the context of where we are as a church right now, there's been this swinging of the pendulum about talking about judgment. That there have been times in history where the preacher would stand up here and he would spend the entire time talking about fire and brimstone. That the gates of hell are open to those of you who do not make a decision for Jesus. And they would spend the entire time talking about the fact that you are going to go to hell this morning unless you give your life to Jesus. Now, that's one way the pendulum goes. And I can't do that pendulum much longer. I'll probably have, you know, some sort of an aneurysm. But now we go to kind of the modern church and there's this sense of, you know, we've kind of softened everything, right? We've gotten to this place of like, Jesus is your friend. You go surfing. About the future, this future judgment. The kingdom of heaven will be like this, which gives us a sense that it's a parable, right? It's going to be like this. Ten bridesmaids took their lamps, went to meet the bridegroom. Okay, so there's, there's ten of them. They're, they're already a part of the wedding party, right? They're, they're invited. So, so this passage is talking to people who are Christians. They, they've given their life to Jesus. There's a sense, this isn't about to, to outsiders. This is really to the insiders. And so they, they have five, though, that are foolish and five that are wise. Is this about intellect? Maybe, but it's probably more that there's a sense of there's five that sort of get it and there's five that don't. Maybe about morals and values, maybe about spirituality, but there's five who get it and five who don't. Verse 2. Verse 3. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. So some of us, has anybody actually used a, a, a lamp before that actually needs oil? It's, raise your hand if you've, you've done that before. Okay, so you kind of have a sense of that. Some of you are like, oh, I don't really know what that means. Okay, it's sort of like, hey, I've got this great flashlight, but I have no batteries for the flashlight, right? I mean, it's sort of, sort of like that. So if that helps you, if you don't know what a flashlight is, then we have to have a different conversation that we can, we can talk about that afterwards. Um, so there, there's a sense of, well, I've got the lamp, that's all I really need, and I've got a little bit of oil, but there's not a sense that they're completely prepared for whatever situation's going to be ahead of them, okay? So they went as far as to bring the lamp, but that's nothing else. It's not just enough to accept the invitation, you have to be prepared for what's to come. Verse 5, as the bridegroom was delayed, all of them became drowsy and fell asleep. All of them fell asleep. And there's not necessarily judgment here about falling asleep. Some scholars in the past thought that this indicated some sort of a death. Most would say that modern scholars were actually kind of referring to that this is actually sleep. And there's not judgment about the sleep. It's not like, well, five of them fell asleep and five didn't. They all fell asleep. We all have a place where we have to rest. And we rest either with a sense of being prepared or a sense of not being prepared. But we do need to rest. So that's verse 5. Verse 6. But at the midnight there was a shout, Look, here's the bridegroom. Come out and meet him. Then all the bridesmaids got there trimmed and trimmed their lamps. Trimmed their lamps is kind of got them ready, prepared for what exactly needs to happen with the lamp. And I didn't do that research to figure all that out. And it wouldn't matter anyways because you'd all be like bored to death if I gave you that description. So that's verse 7. All, and all call goes out. And all are prepared to look for the bridegroom. 
Then those bright, uh, so verse 8, the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, no, there will not be enough for you and for us. You'd better go to the dealers and sort of figure it out on your own. Verses 8 and 9, there's a negotiation, right? Give us yours. The answer is no. See, there's an interesting thing that happens here. You, you can't be obedient for someone else. You can only be obedient for yourself. And someone else can't be obedient for you. You have to be obedient unto yourself. There's not a sense that your, your parents, because of their obedience, somehow they sort of make up for you, or that somehow you're the people that you surround yourself, as long as they're obedient, it doesn't really matter what I do. There is a sense that within the context of this judgment, you're going to be judged based on you and what you have or haven't done within the context of your faith in Christ. Some of you are like, oh, this is starting to sound like brimstone. Okay, well, that's Okay. It's balance, right? We need to have, have both sides. Verse 10. And while they went to buy it, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready, those who were ready. I love one commentator, he says this way. Those who were ready is actually the readies. It's actually sort of a, a noun. Those who are ready. The people who are ready. Those who are standing, figuring everything out. They've, they've done their homework. They're ready for the test. They brought the flashlight and they brought the batteries. They brought a lamp and they brought plenty of this. They're prepared. They are the readies. Those who were ready, the readies, get to go in and be a part of the marriage feast. They went into the marriage banquet and what happens? The doors go shut. And you think, that doesn't sound like God. But there's a point at which we have to understand that if you were singing in the choir this morning, right? The Harambe choir that was just here, there's a point at which they sang their song here. And if you showed up right now, you missed it. That, That isn't a bad thing or a good thing. It's a fact of if you didn't change your clock a week ago and you've been, you know, surviving on the wrong clock, then I guess you actually would have been here an hour early, so you would have made it, so that's not a good analogy. But you you fell asleep this morning, you didn't wake up, you weren't ready, and you show up. The the bottom line is you're not here. You you missed it. And there's a sense of reality within the kingdom of God that there's going to be a certain point at which the doors are going to close, and it's going to be you're too late. You were out doing the thing that you should have been doing before, and you were just too late. But then the late ones show up, and in verse 11 and 12, Lord, Lord, which is very super spiritual, is really that language, if we understand it kind of back in the day. There's this like, um, you know, like, you know, very merciful Lord. It's this trying to be sort of make yourself up to be something. A super spiritual phrase harkens back to the earlier in the Gospels when the same phrase is used, and God's response is, I don't know you. You've looked like you've been doing lots of things for God, but in fact, you're not really doing much at all. You're playing the part. You're doing the bare minimum. Verse 13, the verb sums it all up. Keep awake. Present tense, imperative with the sense of a continuing action in the future. Keep awake. Keep on being awake is the verb there. If you want to summarize all this passage, what's the name of the sermon this morning? Be prepared. It's the Boy Scout motto, right? Be prepared. Be awake. 
Don't be a person who sits back and says, at some point I'm going to get to that. At some point I'll figure out how that's all going to work. There's a sense of, yes, you've been called. If you are part of the kingdom of God, if you are part of Christ's family, then there is a place at which you are prepared to serve. You are doing the things that need to be done within that context. So a modern context, a flashlight with no batteries. For some of us, it might be that there would be a sense that we have all this great canned food, but we brought no can opener to open the food. There'd be lots of firewood with no way to light it on fire. There'd be an iPhone, and you're going to last forever with that iPhone, but if you have no power cord, if you have no way to power that thing up, it's going to last you maybe a day or two. For some of us, it lasts about four or five hours because we're streaming Netflix and trying to watch Stranger Things Season 2, which I don't recommend on your phone, but that's a whole other conversation. You ever watched, watch a, a young family with a baby? Does anybody have a baby here with a, with a diaper bag in it? So you have a diaper bag, right? What's in the diaper bag? You are prepared for every single situation in the world. And if you've had a diaper bag before, then it's not just one outfit. There's going to be two outfits or three outfits because you've gotten to that place where there's one blowout and then there's a second blowout and it's right in a row. And if you don't have that second thing and you've got a naked child or you have a child that's in a nasty, you know, and there's, there's bottles and there's, you know, pacifiers and there's diapers and there's outfits and there's all these things all in this little like crazy, funny looking sort of thing that you had to buy that somehow there costs $123 online. You don't know why it is, but you have to have the, the pumpernickel one or whatever it is, or, and, and it has to be beautiful. And, and, and so there's a sense of we understand that there are certain things in life that we have to be prepared for. And, and if we're not, then it doesn't make any sense. All right, so let's see if we can get into this. How many people um, have been, uh, you live in California, how many people have actually lived through an earthquake? Raise your hands really high. Good. Put your hands down. Of those people, you, you, you now know that an earthquake is actually possible, correct? Good. How many of those same people have an earthquake kit set up in their house? Some of them. Not a lot of them, right? Right? So I brought my own earthquake kit today, right? We're going to talk about earthquake kits because it's important. It's marked in everything. See? Earthquake kit. <laughs> Boom. There's my visual aid. Good. Tell me what's inside the earthquake kit. Water. Water. Good. What else is inside the earthquake kit? Flashlight. Flashlight. Batteries. Batteries. Good. See, somebody's actually listening. What else? A radio. A food. Shoes. Blanket. Cash. Medication. First aid kit. Dollar bill, all sorts of, right? We we have a sense of what's in here, right? We we have a sense that if we're, we understand that if we live in California at a certain point, an earthquake is going to happen. It's not, it might happen, it might not. No, it's going to happen. The crazy part is, and then we make the jump to, I've been through the earthquake, the 7.0 magnitude that went crazy and wild and everything fell over. And we're still in the place of, well, haven't quite got around to getting the earthquake kit together, right? Why not? Huh? Well, why not? Well, it's obvious, right? There's got to be an earthquake. We need to be prepared for the earthquake. We need to put together a kit. Why don't we have an earthquake kit? And maybe the bigger question is, If we're going to be prepared for the coming of the Lord, what are we doing to be prepared? Why is it that we're not prepared? Well, sometimes there's just no sense of impending judgment. We're going to take this on both sides, both earthquake and the other judgment at the same time, because they both kind of work together. 
There's no sense of impending judgment or no knowledge. that If you've never experienced an earthquake, then there's not as much sense that you need to have an earthquake kit because you really don't know what that's all about. You don't know how destructive it can be. You don't know how devastating it can be. If you just have to look at what happened in a hurricane across the world and realize that there are people who haven't had water or anything else for like three or four weeks at a time. Water purification tablets was the other thing we didn't mention in there. That's not a bad one to have or some sort of a kit that needs to be able to do that. So you can take your pool water and change it into drinkable water. Probably you wouldn't want to drink the pool water on its own, but that's a whole other conversation. So we have no sense of the impending judgment or no knowledge of it. Why aren't we prepared? We're, we're too busy in our day-to-day lives to think about, on my list of things to do, in, a, in addition to going to Jiffy Lube today and going to dry cleaning and paying the bills and all the other things that I've got to do, I've also got to put together an earthquake kit. Well, the earthquake's going to happen at some point. It's, it's not going to happen tomorrow. How do we know it's not going to happen in five minutes? Do we have any sense that this church has an idea of what's going to happen if there's an earthquake right now? Are they prepared for it? I don't know. We're too distracted. We are such a a, a phone-centric, in such a phone-centric world, we're not in a Christ-centric world. We're not prepared because our lives are not focused and centered on the person and work of Jesus Christ. We actually don't know what it means to be awake. We don't know what it is to be prepared. We don't know what it is to walk a life of obedience. We have a sense of it looks like we show up at church on Sunday, but what does it look like on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday? And I work in a law firm. I work in an accounting firm. What does it mean to be obedient in all those places? I don't know, but that's a good question for us to say. What does it mean to be prepared in all the places that God might call us to? No one is instructing us on how to be prepared, or we don't care to heed the instruction of others. So there's a sense of like, I don't know what I'm being prepared for. Somebody can get up here and talk to you and talk to you about there's going to be an earthquake, be prepared for it. And you kind of go, it's in one ear and it's out the other. You don't really heed the instruction because it's not really that impending for you. It's got to actually internalize. And at some point, we're just lazy and we're just kind of procrastinators. And we'll deal with that tomorrow. I got too much on the... It's the Sabbath. We're not supposed to do things like earthquake kits on the Sabbath. As a Boy Scout, I learned to be prepared. And so some of the things in my own life that, you know, look like that I'm sort of prepared is that somewhere in my car, I'm not going to tell you where because if you broke into my car, you'd know where to look for the money. But there's a $20 bill sort of, you know, folded up in a strange way so that if somehow or another I lost my wallet, then I would at least have $20 to, I don't know, make a phone call. I don't know what, it's $20 to buy gas, $20 to do something. That's in my car, so I'm prepared for that moment. I, I um, scare people sometimes. They say, I need a Band-Aid, and I pull out my wallet, and I hand them a Band-Aid, and they're like, you have Band-Aids in your wallet? I do. I don't know why. I'm, I'm a little obsessive maybe in that way, but, but I'm prepared for the situation. And it's, it's, you've got to have two, right? You've got to have a, a Star Wars sort of character and some sort of a, a princess character. So if the child in front of you, you know, is girl, then you give them the Star Wars one. If it's a boy, then you give them the, you know, the princess one or whatever, you know, sort of works out in your, in, your, in your economy. And I did make a mistake by switching those things. I did it on purpose. Some of you are like, oh, did he know that he yeah, I dined? I know I did that. So there's a blanket in my car because sometimes you go to the movies and it's freezing cold. And so you grab the blanket from the back of your car and you put it on and people think you're so strange to have a blanket. Yeah, but I'm warm and you're not. So there you go. 
And I have a Swiss army knife on my, on my keychain. I could get it out here and you know, show you. And, and I hate it because there's times that I go to the airport and I forget it's there. And then I have to send it back to myself in the mail. And it's kind of a pain. But usually I remember to sort of you know, get rid of it. But it's good for all sorts of things, right? But in the church, what does it mean to keep awake? Within the context of this passage, if we take it seriously, what does it mean for the church to be awake? What does it look like for the church to be prepared well, we have only to go over to the next page. In the, in the, later in the chapter when it says, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry, and gave you food, or thirsty, or gave you something to drink? Whatever you did to the least of these, you did to me. In the church, what does it look like for us to be awake? We need to check the invite, we need to RSVP, and then we need to show up ready. And if you haven't done that before, that means giving your life over to Jesus. And if you haven't done that before, and that's a whole new concept for you, and you're kind of blown away by that, let's talk about it afterwards. Because that's the journey that we want to enter into, is a place where you're secure in where you're at, and then you can start to live this stuff out in a way that is meaningful and real. I think we have to get to a place of starting small. You need to take small steps of obedience. It's not that you wake up tomorrow morning and say, I'm giving up everything I have, I'm moving to Haiti, and I'm going to serve the Lord in that way. Some people have that experience, which is fantastic and wonderful, because many of the ministries that you're going to see out there are ministries that started because God came in, socked them in the face, and they said, I need to change and do something really significant for God. But for many of us, we're like, I can't move to Haiti tomorrow. I don't think that's what God's asking you to do. But what is he asking you to do? Where is he asking you to be faithful? What are the small steps of obedience that you can be a part of each and every day? What is it to know that on that one corner is that homeless guy every morning? And what does it mean for me to throw an extra muffin in a bag, hand it to the homeless guy and say, have a blessed day? Now, sometimes the homeless person will look back at you and go, I only take cash. And you're like, okay, I'll have the muffin for lunch or whatever else. You're asked to be obedient. You're not asked to control the other side of the equation. You're just asked to be obedient in all the little things. I think we have to figure out a way to live in community differently. We need to come to church because we need others to give us examples of how that looks out and for people to look into our lives and go, you know, in that part of your life, you're not really that obedient. But that doesn't happen overnight. I'm thankful because today there are a few people here who have come just because I'm preaching, and I don't know why they would come. Um, they're really, I, I did their wedding like two weeks ago. I was at her wedding this summer. I mean, um, we're waiting for those weddings. They're going to happen, folks. I promise you, they're going to happen. But, but there's a sense of that, that we live in community, and, and these folks over the years have called me to task on things, and I've gotten a chance to speak in their lives, but we can't do that if we don't know one another, and we're not really living in that community. The way that we come prepared and know it means to be obedient is because others help us in the midst of all that. I think we need to try, quit trying to do the bare minimum. I think we need to try to stop controlling the status quo in a sense of if Jesus is all in, then I'm all in. I surrender some of the stuff I have. Right? No, it's I surrender all. And sometimes it's just really simple things because it's surprising that you would have a pastor stand in front of you and say, hey, read your Bible. Pray. 
Come to church. Tithe. Be kind. If you all as a group did those five things, it'd be life-shattering, changing, different. Sometimes we can't even get the simple stuff, so we just need to worry about to be obedient and be prepared as to sometimes do the small things. Okay, so let's keep in mind it's not those who just look like they're prepared, but those who are prepared that will find entry into the wedding feast. It is fantastic for you to have a box that says earthquake kit on it, but if there's nothing in it, you know what happens when the earthquake comes? I guess if there's a huge flood, you could sit in this, <laughs> float down a river, maybe. If there was a rainstorm, maybe you could put it over your head and keep the rain from you, but it's pretty useless. God wants us to come to a faith in Jesus. And he doesn't want to just have that faith come, have us have this really great experience, and then go, I'm in the kingdom. Give me a margarita. We're in the kingdom, and now we're called to be obedient, to be awake, to be prepared as the church, to be a witness then to the world of what it looks like to live a life of obedience. Are we going to do that? Or are we going to be an empty container with nothing really that's all that helpful to the world? Let's pray. God, might we live out our faith in such a way that it's consistent with how you would want us to be obedient to you. May we not be satisfied with the status quo and doing the bare minimum, but would we know that you were willing to make the ultimate sacrifice in your son and that we need to be willing to do the same? to die to our selfish motives and come alive to something bigger. May we be all in as you are all in. May we live a life prepared. Prepared for you what you would want to call us to. Prepared for great things. We ask it in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Um, we are going to uh, sing a song right now that um, was actually a recommendation from King, and I hadn't heard it until this week, but I think it is really complimentary to what we've heard.